Before we bring on this evening's guest, I'd like to take this opportunity to announce that I will be a vendor in attendance at the Michigan Bigfoot Conference on July 17th in Ann Arbor, Michigan. The conference will go from 9 a.m. till 11 p.m. and will be held at the Wyndham Garden Motel there in Ann Arbor. There's quite a list of speakers, both on the side of Sasquatch and the paranormal. Food will be available. There will be plenty of vendors in attendance. There will be an auction, raffles, and according to Blake DeShure from the Lost Cryptids, who puts this conference on, there will be several surprises throughout the day. Bring the kids. Bodine the Bigfoot will be there in attendance. So if you're interested, I would suggest heading over to the MichiganBigfootConference.com website. Purchase your tickets. And when you're there, look for the logo, stop by our booth, say hi, maybe pick up a shirt, and let us know how we're doing. We look forward to seeing you there. And now to the show. Ladies and gentlemen, tonight's guest, Mr. Mike Famelant, is the head of the Sussex County Bigfoot Research Group. He also produces a YouTube channel under the same name and uh, the moniker of In the Shadow of Big Red Eye, which I love that name. Eric, thanks thanks for having me, my friend. Hey, no problem. Um, glad we were able to finally get this together. Uh, yeah, yeah, me too. Thanks. thanks. Uh, it's been a couple couple weeks in the planning, but uh, I'm glad we're finally able to sit down. On a, it sounds like it's a beautiful night in both places. So <laughs> it is. It is indeed. the uh, The heat has found its way out of here for a while. So, Mike, you and I we met month and a half, two months ago, up in West Branch at uh, at the convention up there, and had a had a nice little chat, and uh, we exchanged business cards, and it, it seemed like uh, we had a pretty good conversation, and it seemed like it'd be a good fit for the show. So the thing that struck me right off the bat was that uh, your location, um, Sussex County, New Jersey, correct? Yeah, yeah. Uh, I like to uh, describe it to people as kind of the armpit between Pennsylvania and New York. <laughs> so it's it's like beautiful mountain area, Um really gorgeous and what's cool about it is there's a lot of bigfoot here too which people don't realize so what in the hell is a bigfoot doing in joyzy <laughs> um <laughs> well i why wouldn't they be here is is kind of more of a question that i like to ask people um 
I kind of am under the same, they're under the philosophy that Bigfoot eat kind of similar things that uh, bear eat. And New Jersey, specifically Sussex County, uh, is filled with black bears. Sussex County actually has the highest density of black bear population east of the Mississippi. Really? So, absolutely. So, um, I know when, you know, a lot of people think of Jersey, they think of Newark and Patterson exactly. and, you know, and Camden, baby. <laughs> Woo! Now, that's, that's where my head was at. I was like... Yeah, no, uh, we got we, we have two extremes of the state. We definitely have them, but then we have North Jersey and South Jersey. South Jersey is the Pine Barrens, 1.3 million acres of just amazingness. It's one of the most biodiverse areas in the country in the world actually and home and then, of home of a very famous cryptid on its own jersey devil yes sir and then uh, up here uh you have in north jersey the mountains the the Kittatinny mountains that run through the you know the appalachian trail the appalachian mountains that run through the um uh the state here and uh this big red eye is up in in north jersey in 1970 something 72 a park ranger um for the state park police went on record and said he saw two pairs of reflecting red eyes while he was out on patrol one night and they were like seven foot tall and he went on record in the newspaper and everything and thus was born big red eye so that's an actual uh that's an actual moniker that's used for him out there yeah yeah just like um kind of like uh you know the skunk ape in florida or yeah, the sure. ohio Grassman. we have sussex county's little own uh you know uh, big red eye well that's awesome never heard of that before learn something every freaking day <laughs> <laughs> so mike we like i said we when we met we talked a bit and uh there's some really interesting aspects to uh what you've found and i want to get into that a, a little bit later but uh to start things off um what was your what was your nexus what was the what was the the defining moment where you decided that you were not going to just be interested in this subject, but you were going to actually put some boots on the ground and start going and investigating. Well, uh, that's, I, th I think there, there were two definite like defining moments. Uh, when I first put my groups on boots on the ground was actually the first time ever that I was camping. Um, and it was down in Florida and, um, I went on this, um, Bigfoot expedition with a bunch of other people paid some money and me and my ex fiance went on it. And that was my first experience, uh, bigfooting, let alone in the woods at all. Um, but once I, once I, I started like really researching it and looking into like, like the different aspects of like how, what I think Bigfoot is and how I think they can be here versus how they maybe aren't here. And just the descriptions and the talking to hundreds and hundreds of witnesses, um, it, it really got me to the point when I, when I realized like it would, it would be more surprising to me that they don't exist than that they do exist is when I started really was like, okay, let's figure out what's going on here. Exactly. And that's a, that's an interesting point that you bring up because I've had some, uh, some other uh, interviews that I've, I've done and, and everybody has, has pretty much had that same moment where it no longer seems fantastical for these things to exist they come to a real a realization that the that size of a, a being could be easily supported by the food sources the water the habitat it, it's it's a it's such a strange i almost want to compare it to you know i, I at five years old i was 
full-blown obsessed with UFOs. Right. I'm 56 years old. There wasn't that much information available to the public back in 1970 that a five-year-old kid could get his hands on as far as UFOs. So it was, you know, an occasional TV special or, you know, uh, in search of episode possibly. And uh, my mom actually worked at a bank in a, in a small mini mall and they had a Hallmark, um, Hallmark gifts and books store. And when we'd go visit my mom at lunch, sometimes my dad would take me into the Hallmark store and buy me, I believe it was called UFO magazine. And, you know, the, the articles and everything were far beyond anything that I could comprehend at that point, but it was the pictures that, and I can, I can even remember, <laughs> I can even remember, even though they were black and white photographs and I remember looking at some and, and getting a, like a weird queasy feeling in my gut. And then other ones I would look at and I, I, the only thing I could equate it to was like a, an ornament on a Christmas tree. And, and those, those, I didn't have any kind of a fascination with, I, I guess at that age, I was even recognizing what I thought was not real versus what made me feel weird and kind of gave me a tingle in my, in my stomach that, yeah, that those were, you know, that those were real. It's quite and, possible. And, yeah. uh, now that all this disclosure stuff, the soft disclosure that's coming out about this stuff from the government it's kind of a, it's kind of a double-edged sword because there's there's some validation now that I haven't wasted fifty fifty one years of my life looking into the uh, <laughs> to the subject matter or believing in it. Um, but then at the other other part of it is, well, once once they come out and admit that it is, and then sure it's going to take a lot of time to find out, you know, if ever where they're from or what they are. Um, it kind of takes a little bit of the, uh, a little bit of the excitement away from it. And I wonder if that would be the case with Sasquatch. If the government ended up coming out and saying, yes, they exist and we've known about them and they're this and they're that and they're, you know, they're a relic, whatever. Is that going to, is it going to defeat a lot of people in their interest in this thing? Is it just going to become, well, okay. Well, I mean, you know, that's, that's a, that's a very good question. I think, um, I, I don't get into government conspiracies on any, any of the topics that I talk about or anything like that. It's just not, not, I'm not a fan uh, and just doesn't interest me too much. But, uh, what I, what I will say though, is, is that if, it is proven that Sasquatch or a Bigfoot type creature does exist. Um, everybody and their mother is going to be out in the woods in a ghillie suit trying to shoot one of these things. It's going to be North America's big game. Right. And it's not going to be a safe environment for anybody. Exactly. Um, whether or not the government takes that into consideration or, or, you know, even, even look at it from a, scientific viewpoint that this would be the most surmountable insurmountable scientific discovery of the century like like this would top every like a lot of things like if bigfoot is no if is real so 
you have to take that into consideration too. Is is the world ready for that? Are are you you know is is especially people that are living in North America? Are we ready to have uh, you know six to eight foot tall bipedal hominid primate roaming around the backwoods of our property? Are we ready for that as a as a as a civilization? I think we got too much going on right now. Yeah, we do have a lot going on right now. <laughs> um, I I do. I do fall into the camp, though, that for people, <clears throat> I just did an interview a couple of nights ago with a, a husband and wife who they're admittedly uh, weekend warriors when it comes to camping. You know, they do it a couple of times a, a summer. And when they go, they go to a very remote part of the Upper Peninsula of Michigan. And, uh, you know, they're in an area that, people know about i mean it, it's not like it's a million miles from civilization or anything but it's a very rural area and the campgrounds and the the hiking trails that they go down are smack dab in the middle of bear infested woods wildcats um some very sizable wolves hey yeah that's a thing that surprised me when i was up your neck of the woods. I'm from New Jersey. We don't have them here. Wolves? Um, anything. <laughs> Other than bear and we Bigfoot. Have, <laughs> yeah, we got bear, Bigfoot, bobcats. That's the deer we have. They're cool. Uh, and then that's all the big stuff. Yeah, no, no. You guys got like legit stuff up that way. I was not prepared for that one. Yeah. And, you know, I mean, like I said, they're weekend warriors. So, right. you know, they had an experience and it, it pretty much um, made them do an about face on the trail that they were on. And they put their two, um, two children, nine and 10, 10 and 11, something like that. Um, between the two of them, the mother was at the lead. The father was bringing up the rear, very close to the children, walking backwards with his pocket knife pulled out because they heard a growl and they felt the growl. And it was like an immediate, their eyes locked on each other and they were like, we got to go. So, you know, weekend warriors going out there and, and doing this a couple of times a year and they're not prepared. They, they're not carrying bear spray with them. They're not carrying any kind of a, a handgun. You know, I mean, it's not the wild west out there. I, I, you know, I caution people if, if you're going to carry a weapon, you better know how to use it. Um, just, just don't go out there flippantly with, a your grandpa's pistol, you know, but there's, there's a, there's a necessity for understanding your surroundings. I feel at all times, you know, we're 100%. so, we're Absolutely. so, we're so used to having four walls around us and a roof over our head and being able to lock the door and close the windows and sleep comfortably at night, not having to worry about somebody, you know, getting in the house when you're out in a, in a tent that's you know made out of uh, three mil uh, nylon, <laughs> there's nothing between you and what's outside and not even taking into consideration the possibility that these seven foot bipedal wild beings are out there. That could be, a, that could, you know, it's a horrifying thing, especially, I mean, it, especially it, if you're a parent and you're trying to keep your two children protected. Yeah, I, I mean, you know, you, we didn't go into detail about what this couple, you know, uh, went through, but 
you, you definitely have to be aware, not even aware of your surroundings, but imminently like alert of your surroundings um, to the point where, especially if you have kids in the woods, that you have to know what's going on. Yeah. Um, especially, you know, when you, especially up there where you guys have some, some animals that could really do some damage. So I guess the, the long way around getting to where I was going with that is that, you know, if these things do exist and, and I'm going to have a question for you here based on a previous statement you made, um, if these things do exist and they're in literally every area of our country, um, which reports show that they are. If the government were to come up and admit to it or some, you know, the, the forestry service or, or some organization would come out and finally be just like, yes, these things are, I think that's, that's important for people that are going out into the woods to understand that they're there. You know, not only do you have to watch out for your bear and your, you know, bobcats or your, your wolves, you also got to look out for this. You know, and you see these signs that are posted uh, out in the Pacific Northwest. You know, it's a, a yellow triangular sign that, you know, is basically has Bigfoot on it. And, you know, a lot of people post them as memes and as jokes. But there there are actually signs out there, and their their intended service is to provide the information to people that are in that area that people have reported them here. It's not our job to decide whether they're real or not, but we're just letting you know they've been reported. Yeah, absolutely. Sure. So 2011, is that when you were down in Florida and you had your, your experience that pretty much decided to make you want to start investigating? Yeah, that's, that's kind of what, uh, what started the whole, the whole thing. Um, I was living down in Florida and, um, watching the show on TV, um, was bored at work and went on the computer and, uh, I was like, Oh man, we could, we can go out and do these, uh, expeditions with them. So I was like, okay. Uh, I was engaged at the time. So I was like, Oh, this is going to make a really cool, like let's go out in the woods and go camping type thing before we get married. Um, so, you know, I got the tickets, everything was awesome. And, um, then we, uh, unfortunately her and I broke up and I moved, uh, up into the city of Tampa and I got a job in the ambulance and I didn't know anybody. Um, so I got my friend, uh, my buddy, he's my best friend to this day, Jimmy. I'm like, Jimmy, you know, this is the second time I've ever met you before. And this is the second time like working on the ambulance together, but I have this non-refundable ticket to go big footing up in North Florida. Uh, do you want to come with me? <laughs> <laughs> so, and the reason why he's the best friend of the day is like, yeah, I've always wanted no, to do no that. Shit. <laughs> so, <laughs> yeah. So, so no, um, no eye rolls anyways, or nothing. He was just boom. I'm in. No, no, it was, it was like sincere, like ambition. And I was like, okay, awesome. All right. Um, uh, but yeah, I mean, we went up there, didn't see too much, met a lot of cool people. Um, but it was the last night that got us is, like we were, we were sitting, uh, watching uh, a meteor shower. We were up in North Florida. So being from this, this, the city, you know, I couldn't see any, any, um, you know, the stars or anything like that. So it was a nice little change and it was our last night there. So we were up kind of late, just sitting around a, a little fire, me and him. Um, we camped away from everybody because like when we initially got there, we were like, okay, everybody's going to be weird. They're all looking for Bigfoot <laughs> and you're not realizing that's what we're doing as well. But, um, we, we camped kind of, 
you know, to the side of these people. Anyway, so, you know, we're, we're up enjoying the night and, um, we hear like a tree knock and I was like, Oh, it's kind of weird. And we had no activity up until this point. So I was like, you know, we did pay a lot of money to come on this expedition. So I was like, okay, maybe it's the organizers that maybe, you know, or this is how they have people come back every year. So I'm like, okay, they're probably just knocking on some trees to get some people, you know, spooked or whatever. Um, then another tree knot came from the complete opposite direction a ways away. So I'm like, oh, they have radios. That's kind of cool. Now it's, you know, more of like a show. Like I'm entertained now. Like this is all right. Uh, and then like a rock came down, maybe five minutes later, a rock came down, uh, about fifth size, maybe a little bit smaller, uh, maybe like a little smaller than a baseball, um, came down and kind of landed, um, like 10 feet from us. And, uh, remember I said it was like my first yeah. time ever camping. Yeah. Well, I got scared. All right. So <clears throat> I'm, I'm, I'm absolutely horrified now because now we got rocks coming down. I didn't, I think either of these people are going to kill us. We're in the middle of the woods. What am I doing here at this point? I'm looking for Bigfoot in the middle of like North Florida with 60 crazy people. Like what did I, what am I doing? This is like mid, like midlife crisis <laughs> moment right now. And now we're getting rocks thrown at us. And my buddy's like, well, if you want to sleep in the car. And by the, as soon as he said that, I think I had my whole tent sleeping bag, everything. And I was just stuffing it in my car just trying to get out of there the next morning. But he finally talked some sense into me and was like, Mike, this is like Bigfoot activity. Why don't you, you know, come out and enjoy this, you know, and in case it actually is something. So I was like, okay, you know, um, so over the next 15 minutes or so, uh, five more, you know, little fist size, like I said, a little smaller in baseball size rocks, um, kind of land five to 10 feet from us. And I'm freaking out. You know, and it's just, it, it, Jimmy's freaking out and it's just, I don't know. It's just, it's kind of surreal because it's like, how are these people like, I'm still thinking it could mm-hmm. be a person and I'm like, why are they throwing right? Like we got to like, ser- like, this is how horror movies start. <laughs> exactly. Like we need to get out of here like ASAP. Like we needed to be out of the woods like yesterday at this point. <laughs> so like, um, anyway, so, so yeah, um, we kind of realized it wasn't a person. Um, when my, my, my friend Jimmy, he was like, um, yeah, I, I think I'm going to throw a rock back at it. And I said, I don't think that's a good idea, Jimmy. Come on. Cause we got two options. We got either you're going to piss off a Bigfoot, probably not a win situation, or you're going to throw a rock at a person and possibly hurt the person. You know, we're right. two, yeah. you know, EMTs <laughs> just trying to look for Bigfoot up here. We don't want to go home with assault charges. And, uh, so he throws the rock back at it and I knew it wasn't a person at that exact moment because a laptop sized boulder came crashing through the trees and that the same way that the other rocks kind of did. And I forgot to say that before, but crashing down through the trees and landed like 10 feet from our, from our campfire. Wow. That's the second I knew that it wasn't a person. And that's the second I knew that there's something out there. And this is, I didn't know it at the time, but that was going to be the, moment of my that changed so the let me ask you life. at this point up until this point you guys are you're out there camping what is your knowledge base on on this subject are you are you aware that they're known for throwing rocks are you aware that tree knocks are a thing um i i had watched the show so i knew very basic information i wasn't aware of um 
anything more than that. I didn't know how to put together a tent, um, you know, that kind of like that kind of bad thing. Like it was, it was pretty <laughs> horrific. It was, it was, it had to be, had to be quite entertaining to watch actually. So that was the point. That, that was it. That was it. And then, you know, you come home and you take a minute or a couple of days to really digest what happened. And, and me as kind of like a, a person who likes to be a little scientifical and, and kind of look at things with a skeptical nature. Uh, I had not, I, I had no intention of any Bigfoot thing, any ever happening to us up there. Never, never in a million years. So for this to happen, I was kind of like in disbelief. And that's why initially I thought it was somebody. And then, you know, after that last rock got thrown, it was like, okay, well, then you go home. And like I said, you start to digest what happened and you look at more reports in the area and, then you you know you kind of get that little bug. It's like, hey, I just saw this report of Bigfoot, you know, like an hour away from where we lived. Do you want to go check it out? And then that turns into a camping trip, and you get more little you know kind of uh, signs and 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 you know uh, evidence that just keeps you going. And that just little bit keeps you like it just keeps you going and going and going. And then boom, I was just looking at it today. What was it? Ten, ten years later. Here I am, you know, like making a making a show, talking to you. You know, it's it's crazy. It's it's been a crazy ride. Ask you, back to the back to the night that you had the rocks coming down. Um, yeah. The next morning, any conversations with any of the other people that were out there with that group? Yeah, yeah. So so we went up the next morning, and and everybody was kind of like you know boarding coffee chatter and I, we were just we kind of went up to the middle of the group or the most the, like the, the, the largest amount of people talking we said hey did you guys hear anything last night and we didn't say what it was or anything like that and then um the one guy was like oh yeah i heard a couple knocks around four o'clock in the morning and then boom i was like okay well we heard that too and then we also got rocks thrown at us he's like oh we didn't hear that but we heard the two tree knocks so it was validated by somebody else that was at camp that we had no you know um uh, you know history right. of ever talking to so so some validation absolutely All right, so let's flash forward a bit um what's your first piece of equipment what's what's the what's the first thing you start taking out into uh to these areas voice recorder well cell phone but um if you're just just getting out and about into the field, um, definitely your cell phone that has your voice recorder. It's got a nice camera on it. Hopefully, it's got some good maps and everything on it. So you'll be that's a pretty all around good uh, base thing to have. Um, other than that, if you want to get into squatching wise, you got to start off and your first thing even before you get out of the car is definitely turn that uh, voice recorder on. Yeah, yeah, the voice recorder, it's a handheld little thing. Uh, it's a digital voice recorder. You can pick it up at uh, on Amazon or whatever. They range in price. But um, it's the best thing to use because it's going to take the least effort and it's going to produce the highest quality and best type of evidence that you could gather from the field. On average, how often are you, are you getting good evidence on that recorder? I mean... Do you go... Do, I guess what I'm getting at is... Do you find, you know, a locale uh, that's that's a hot spot, you know, it either has several uh, surrounding reports of, of activity and get in there and just there's absolutely nothing. You got you get nothing. Or or are you fairly consistently getting evidence? 
No, no. I think anybody that consistently gets evidence uh, needs to be looked at for mm-hmm. the integrity of the evidence that they're they're collecting. Um, I'd say on a rough average, um, we go out camping. Uh, when I say we, I say my research team and I, and my production team, and and a couple other people. Uh, we go out maybe once a month, um, and I'd say you know through the summer months. I don't go winter camping, but um, I'd say since we've been doing this, we get activity maybe a quarter of the time we go out and it all depends on the location, the time of year, the, I mean, there's so many variables, but, uh, and there, there could be, you know, things that we've missed too. Who knows? Interesting that you say time of the year. Do you find in your research that there is a, a pattern to, uh, related to the time of year? Absolutely not. Um, no, uh, I, I I think that it's a strong misconception that Bigfoot are migratory. Uh, when you imply time of year, you're saying that animals are moving because of weather, which would mean that you're in a migratory pattern. Birds fly south right. for the winter. Um, you know, elk, uh, you know, go across, you know, mountain ranges and stuff like that because of temperature wise and stuff like that. However, um, when you talk about a species such as Bigfoot and North American animals, you don't have any animals in North America that make, or in the United States, excuse me, that make this massive migration anywhere besides some bison and some elk, right? So those are the cool, two cool things that move around. But besides that, you don't have, all the animals stay where they do. I said before that bears and like if you overlay a bear population map with a Bigfoot sighting map, put them on top of each other, they're like almost like, identical, almost yeah. exact. Yeah. So I mean, you think of it like that, that would lead me to believe that that's you know kind of the habitat that we're talking about, and it's it doesn't necessarily. Bear don't need to migrate. Bear don't migrate. Um, bear don't even like in in North America. They don't even or in I'm sorry, the United States. Excuse me. Uh, they don't even like um, uh, hibernate really at all. It's just kind of like called like a deep sleep type of thing. So I don't think um, you know Bigfoot necessarily need to move because of the weather. I think they definitely move because of food. So they're following food sources. If it runs out, they'll make the decision to move on. Just like primates and ancient humans, they're no, they're uh, nomadic, which is, you know, they're early hunter, you know, hunter gatherers. They follow where the food needs to be. Just like ancient civilizations here just did, uh, you know, our start. So throughout your, your 10 years, you said 10 years of investigating. Yeah. Give or take. Where are you at on, what these things are. Do you think they are an animal? Do you think they are uh, more closely related to us? Uh, that's a, that's a very good question. Uh, I I've, I've gotten into, it seems more and more debates recently, um, regarding people's philosophy on what, what, um, they think the subject of Bigfoot could actually be. Um, I am of the mindset that they are an actual creature, um, much similar to, uh, like a, like a, uh, chipmunk eagle, like a worm, something mm-hmm. physical completely here on this earth, an animal. 
Uh, and I think uh, additionally that they're an ancient human because I think they have some sort of intelligence to them. They have to. And I think going out on a, a, a stretch of the imagination that this could be like a, a Denisovan, uh, which is the missing link between Neanderthals and, right. and Homo sapiens. So who, know, who knows? You know, if you, you can, you could really go back and, and do some 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 deep thinking about and that's, it. If you and like. that's pretty much the camp that I'm in. I, I believe that they are uh, something more closely related to us, whether they sure. whether sure. they continued to live alongside of us in a branch. Uh, that was parallel to mm-hmm. us and where we decided to go the way of concrete and civilization, they decided to not um, for whatever reason. Absolutely. Sure. It was interesting what you said a few minutes ago uh, as far as them being a, a physical reality, just like a worm or a bird or a chipmunk. Um, I take it that your stance on on the woo aspects of of. Bigfoot research is uh, is not a is not a big priority for it. Well, and and I, and I, I don't want to get too much into it because, like I said, I've been. It seems like when I've been talking to people uh, recently, uh, that's this is all that the conversation has, has turned into. So I don't want to do that again. Um, but no, I, I'm not of the the woo camp philosophy. Um, I think that everybody that that has their own opinion is, is well off than is better off than people that don't have any opinion whatsoever. However, um, I, I would challenge anybody, uh, and I tell this anywhere I go, um, uh, I challenge anybody to send me some actual evidence of their theories of either interdimensional Bigfoot or, or UFO Bigfoot or anything that is not, something I believe in, let me see it and let me make a decision for myself. And so far, nobody has risen to that challenge. So until somebody does, that's going to be my camp because that's what the evidence has kind of brought me to believe that I've found. Fair enough. Yeah, I can't, I can't disagree with you. I do find myself being um, very interested in, in accounts where the woo factors into a sighting. I think it's, uh, I think it's unusual. I think it's interesting as hell. I'd, I'd like you, I would love to see some evidence of it. The idea that these things could be even remotely interdimensional. That that's a tough one for me to, that's a tough one for me to swallow. <laughs> you know, the, 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 the things that do get me though, are these trackways that are found where they just abruptly stop, you know, and, mm. and things like that. So I'm not saying that, just because the track stopped, they're interdimensional. That's that doesn't make any sense to me. But those kinds of things I find very interesting because you hear them in a lot of a lot of people's experiences, a lot of accounts. You know, what what a what a a wonderful question to ask people that have have shown evidence or have said that they found that tracks have stopped is you ask them, did you look up? Yeah. Seriously. Sure. Bigfoot climb trees. No one looks up. There was a professor in New Jersey in the Pine Barrens following a Bigfoot uh, trackway for, I, I can't tell you how many miles. I think it was three quarters of a mile uh, in off of this woods. And he got there and the trackway absolutely 100% vanished. This was in winter, so there was snow on the ground, clear snow. He could not 
for the life of him describe this. This is a professor and actually made him start believing in the theory of interdimensional Bigfoot until he went back there the next day and saw the Bigfoot continued the trackway that he climbed down the tree afterwards after he left. Interesting. That's cool. Yeah, that is very cool. And and if I'm not mistaken, I do remember seeing a video of, of that very same guy. Yeah, I have to I have to look up his, his name. He's down in um he's at a Stockton University or something like that. So in one of your earlier interviews, I believe it was on some kind of a hot sauce uh sports program or something. Oh yeah. <laughs> um mm-hmm. at that point, I don't know how long ago that was, but you were asked about your belief in the existence of these things and you 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 came out rather quickly with 70%. Where are you at now? 70%. Still at 70. Yep. That's why I said when when I got to 51%, that is the point where I was like, okay, this is, like I said before, this is where we're going to start really looking into this. And I can say without hesitation that I have found and recorded evidence that is is not known. And, you know, whether some people want to dispute that or whatever, whatever you know, everybody has the right to whatever. Um, but I think I've gotten something that, that may not be known um, to exist on, you know, on, on audio or through a trackway or through hair sampling and stuff like that. So that, but I've never seen it. I've never seen a Bigfoot. So that's that's why I, I can't say 100%. That's why I can't say 80%. I'm still pretty stuck at that 70%. And until, like, ah, just give me something a little bit more. Make it, like, 75 and we'll keep going, you know? <laughs> <laughs> but obviously, uh, 10 years into it and no signs of slowing down, right? It's exhausting. Doing the show is exhausting. Um, I You know, I I produce everything myself. So, so uh, from planning the expeditions to witnesses to camping stuff all the way through editing, filming, um, marketing, oh, everything is, you know, I, I, t- I handle everything and, you know, I complain about it a lot, but I love doing it. So I, I can't, you know, uh, we're actually currently looking for a digital marketing manager. I don't know when this episode is coming out, but, um, if we're still looking, if anybody's interested, hop on over to our Facebook page. Um, but it's it's I do it because I, I know that it's like real and true and that's that's what I want the 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 show to come out as is like this is this isn't produced this isn't edited by a million people or dramatic pauses and music over play you know that I, I don't have a production company it's just me so I think that's what attracts people to the show a lot and I'll have to say you know I, I went back and I. After our first conversation, I went back and I watched several of the uh, Shadow of the Big Red Eye um, episodes. And production quality is great. And the thing that strikes me is you are not trying to take anything from these these shows that edit things in a way that don't really give away anything, but also don't make you think that you could be trying to hide something. Well, listen... Here, it, it, it's just a, it's a very, I guess what I'm saying is it, it, it comes off as a very honest approach and the quality is great and they're well done, you know, and I, I, 
<clears throat> excuse me, I truly uh, appreciate that very much. Um, and, you know, it's, it is done in a way that is like kind of that honest approach type of thing. It's also, it's also like I could buy like, you know, cameras and get like some good quality microphones and stuff like that. It really invests some serious financial stuff into this. However, that's not why I made the show. I didn't make the show because I want to get rich and famous and have this high quality something. I made the show because I want to show what, Bigfooting is actually like to people. It's not about, you know, doing hoops and hollers and, and trying to, you know, find a Bigfoot every time. It's just about go out with your friends and family and just have a good time, whether you're looking for Bigfoot or not. That, that means nothing. Just go out and have a good time. And that's, again, why I, I do that amateur style filming so people I would hope and encourage them to make their own Bigfoot video or their own fishing video and, you know, take up my slack for when, you know, season 87 of In the Shadow of Big Red Eyes is off. And, and the, I mean, our country is just beautiful. I mean, there are so many places that Michigan is, there's parts of Michigan, there's parts of Minnesota, everybody calls it God's country. And Let you know, me tell you something about Michigan. I have never seen the most diverse everything that you have up there. There's so much, you have everything. You have beaches, you have crystal clear blue, you know, ocean water. Mm-hmm. Like, like it's, it's crazy. Michigan is, is I've, I never in a million years could have imagined that. And, and I got to I got to you know, thank you for having me up there. That was so cool. I hope to get back up there ASAP. It is a, it is an absolutely beautiful state i forget the uh i forget the the specific references but uh, i believe you're never more than 60 minutes away from a body of water oh i totally believe that you're never more you're never more than 90 minutes away from one of the great lakes oh that's cool there are 14 (laughs) estimated to be 14 billion trees in the state of michigan making up 22 million acres of untouched land. That's that's a number right there. Accounting for 53% of the total state is wooded. There you go. You know, it's, it's a, it's a beautiful place. And when you get, when you get, get past the halfway mark of, of the lower peninsula, once you get above Grand Rapids and in the Cadillac area, all the way on up and into the upper peninsula, it's just, uh, it's just a beautiful, beautiful state. I mean, you, you know, the winters, the winters up there suck. I would, I would yeah, not, I, I, yeah, I would I not want to live up there yeah. during the winter. But yeah, fishing's great, hunting's great. It's just a, just a beautiful state. When you were in Michigan, did you do any investigating, or were you just up yeah, there we, for the we, conference? No, we did a lot. Actually, the conference was um, was not even uh, on the agenda. That was kind of like a. Um, morning I woke up and was like, yeah, I guess I'll go today. I'm glad I did. Um, but yeah, no, um, we were up there for nine, 10 days. It was a 10 day, um, very long expedition. Um, I managed to go to, uh, four national parks in five days Oh wow! and was able to camp or not national parks, I'm sorry, national forests. And I was able to, um, you know, spend a couple nights in each of them. And I met up with, uh, 
you know, uh, a couple old friends that I, that I knew from up there and, uh, obviously met some, some cool new people like yourself. No, I appreciate that. It was a, it was a beautiful day up there. Can't say enough about the people that put that on. They were uh, all mm. very accommodating, very nice. Uh, just a super group of people. Yes, absolutely. Absolutely. All right. So now we're going to get into something that you had mentioned to me during one of our phone calls early on. Mm-hmm. And I think you even alluded to it at, uh, at my booth in Michigan. You made a, you made a comment that you were fairly. Oh, I, I don't know if I know where this is going, but I hope I don't. <laughs> yeah, I don't. Uh, you made, you made a comment about being fairly certain that there were a select number of groups of Sasquatch in oh. the, in the area. <laughs> Did you we think talked I was, about a, we talked about a lot of things that afternoon, sir? No, <laughs> no I, I was I was not going to bring up that. I didn't know if that was where this kind of show or not, but no. I was I was getting ready to go there real quick. Let me tell you, I was turning the pages. All right. <laughs> no, I'm sorry, I didn't mean to give you that impression. Um, it's not. I'm not saying that that sh- this show couldn't be like that, but uh, <laughs> no, we're we're going to stick with Sasquatch here. Um, <laughs> So I'm, I'm really interested in these multiple groups that you seem to have isolated and, and, and been able to obviously come up with a theory that there's a specific number. And I'd like to, I'd like for you to get into that. Tell me how you came about with the, uh, the information that you put that together. Sure. Sure. Absolutely. It's actually um, a theory that I derived from that professor that we were talking about before. So it's kind of cool that he has his own theory and I, I've kind of adapted my own beliefs um, to his theory. So I got to give him all the credit uh, to start with um, for kind of turning me on to this, but making definitely starting to make the gears kind of tink and, and turn. And while I'm explaining how I came about um my philosophy about New Jersey Bigfoots and, and this is going to be like a New Jersey based thing. I apologize for all the out of state people, but um, this is just where I've done most of my research. But while I'm going, while I'm saying, you know, and try to relate to your research areas. And if you can correlate your sightings or witness sightings or your accounts um, to your area and see if they could, you could draw any patterns that way. Mm -hmm. I believe that patterns are the way that we're going to find Bigfoot hundred percent. So the more patterns, the more patterns that we can get and the more uh, points of data that we can get. Um, I want to do a quick uh, shout out to Squatcher Metrics. Uh, look him up on Instagram, Facebook. This guy's awesome. He puts together so many statistics for all around the country. Um, so uh, we use all these different statistics and put them together. And that's how I kind of came up with this collective data for New Jersey. So it's not just reports that I found from the internet or word of mouth reports. I kind of got everything that I could possibly gather and plotted them on a map in Jersey. And where did that, and where did that lead you from there? (laughs) This is uh, it's a, it's a, it's a, it's a little bit of a a highway here. So um, we start with uh, my section of the state, which is North Jersey. Okay, just for you know, New Jersey, think of it as like a I don't know, just a, a circle for an hour o'clock. I'm in the twelve o'clock position up in North Jersey. Um, what I noticed when I started putting and cor- and putting um, sightings on the map for Sussex County, which is where I started because that's my county, 
um, I noticed some kind of odd things. One, I noticed uh, one road that had a lot of sightings along it. And then I noticed like every third year that the sightings would increase and not just increase by a little bit, but increase like a lot of it, like 80%. So I'm like, wow, okay, that's kind of cool. So zoom out, do kind of like a New Jersey thing and kind of get the same exact data for every other county in the state. How weird is that? Right. Yeah. So now we put all the counties together and overlay kind of like a state of New Jersey map on it. And boom, you could tell like every third year that the Bigfoot are in whatever part of the state. And they, they're actually like, they, they, like I said before, they're nomadic. They have a nomadic movement counterclockways around the state. So it's kind of super interesting that every, anywhere in, you know, any third year in whatever part of the state you go to, the settings aren't going to increase by 80%. Any theories on why every three years? Absolutely. So here's where you got to start thinking about patterns and what, like why animals do what they do. Right. So, so we have to think of ourselves as deer hunters. I don't hunt, but, um, or, or fishermen, whatever. It doesn't, doesn't really matter. We have to think of how we're going to be at the same place that these animals are going to be because of this reason, they're going to be here because of this and this and this, right? So we can say that there's obviously going to be food there because you need, you know, all animals need food. There's going to be water there. There's going to be shelter, which is the basic kind of, you know, survival things. So I think like every third year, if you take it and look at it from like a biological standpoint, mm-hmm. um, you come to the conclusion and you look at like what, what are Bigfoot going to eat? Right. Because that's one of the things that they need to survive. Sure. Everything needs, like I said, water and, and shelter. But let's look at food. Um, like I said early on, bear, Bigfoot, very strong correlation. So that would lead me to believe that Bigfoot eat the same thing that bears eat or have a very similar diet. Make sense? It does. Yes. Okay. So we would say 70% berries, 30% you know, small animals, garbage, stuff like that. Nothing kind of crazy, but uh, mostly foraging. So you look at uh, what they would eat, grasses, berries, shrubs. Um, and what's cool about it is a very basic, you know, um, botanist. If you if you take uh, a, a berry bush or any type of shrub and take all, strip it down to nothing, uh, it takes three years for it to grow adult berries again. Interesting. That that kind of like is icing on the cake to me. That not that not only supports the theory that every third year type of thing, but that supports the sightings. That also supports the Bigfoot overlay map. There's so many different puzzles, puzzle pieces that are getting put together. Like I say, it's it's learn these patterns. We could put so many different puzzle pieces together. I can guarantee you, I've never done this, but if anybody would like to do this. In southern New York, in the Catskill Mountains, every third year they're down in the southern Catskill Mountains because that's where I think they have to enter where they breed. Oh, so, really? I don't know. Yeah, that's that's just from from never looking into the region. That would be my uh, I would I would place money on it that every third year in the southern Catskill Mountains that Bigfoot sightings increase. 
So that's why I, I challenge anybody to take their area and say like, oh, crap, maybe they're not moving because of the weather, but let's look at why they would move and, and look into it a little bit deeper. My favorite question is why. Once we start answering these whys about Bigfoot, and it's hard when we kind of were, we, 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 you know, tip of the iceberg before when we were talking about different philosophies when it comes to Bigfoot and everybody, you know, is kind of um, divided into not even different chapters, but different books. And it's hard to um, put all of our collective evidence together and look at it through a, you know, collective view telescope and say, okay, this is, this is what we have. And this is what we need. It's, it's difficult, but I think we can get there with some, you know, just, just people crunching some numbers and doing some research. Yeah, I agree. And I, I don't understand why there's such a divisiveness in the Bigfoot community. I mean, you know, it, it stems, I'm sure it stems from a lot of different things. There's, there's a lot of keyboard warriors. There's, I, you know, there's a lot of politics and I don't get into any of that kind of stuff. You know, I, um, to each of their own, I personally like what I do and I don't really care what anybody else says or does. So that's, that's, I don't know. That's my, my thought pattern on, uh, <laughs> on people who want to say something. Well, that's interesting that, uh, you talk about the, the berry bushes having to take mm. three years to, to come back to, to full fruit. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's, I, I've talked, I've spoken with other people, um, that have found, uh, in different parts of the country that have found other things. For example, in the Pacific Northwest, there's, um, I have a, you know, I'm, I'm friends with a couple people up that way and, they don't, their Bigfoots don't go anywhere. Um, which would lead me to believe that they don't need to because there's enough food consistently throughout the year. I would think that they would have to, to some extent, some of the population, especially young males would eventually have to venture out on their own and, and move into a different area because wouldn't interbreeding end up being a problem. Absolutely. Yeah. I think, uh, it, and again, and I, I hate to make the reference to the bears. I think it's a very similar thing. I think you have family groups, which you can get into even more, uh, on this three year cycle in New Jersey. Um, but I think they're very similar to, to, to bears. I think, you know, the, the males have a very wider range, um, compared to the family, small family group of black bear, uh, or Sasquatches in this situation. Now, through your investigations with these uh, multiple groups in, in your area, have you been able to kind of assess a, a radius that you think that these specific groups are um, relegated to? You know, is it a 50-mile radius? Is it a 100-mile radius? Well, the thing is that they travel. So, so they're never in a specific they, – they don't have a home base area. Um, so they don't – um, I don't think they have like a permanent shelter. I don't think they stay anywhere. I think they travel throughout the state. Um, uh, and the reason why I think this is because like, like I said, the every third year pattern, but also you have sighting reports now that you can get into with different, um, uh, like colors of Bigfoots and stuff. Like, it's really cool. Like you could actually get into it a lot deeper where the first, um, I think there's two family groups in New Jersey and this is like kind of going out onto a limb now. And this is where I start to lose people. Uh, but, you're fine. Uh, the reason I have you on here is because this is what I wanted to talk about. Yeah. It, well, well, so, so, you know, just try to try to bear with me here. So 
So you have, let's just take for random example, uh, June, just a, you know, whatever, or July, beginning of July, today's the first or second or whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, so let's take that for an example. So in July, uh, sightings in Sparta, New Jersey, which is my hometown, this is totally random made up, um, of there's, there's sightings of a black Bigfoot every third year in July. Then in the end of August, you have sightings of a red group of Bigfoots. So it's so it's like they're always like two months behind each other, the black group versus the red group. So you could actually like see like sighting differences in these these the, the hair colors of these animals when these sightings do increase every third year. How wild is that? That is it's pretty amazing. How does the how does the three year theory play into that? If I mean, are they just rotating? They follow each other. Yeah, no, the two family groups follow each other. Like I said, the one's about two two months ahead of the other group, and I don't know if, if they leave because there's they, they leave food behind or if there's mingling in between the two groups, which would be my kind of belief if they, you know, because of that interbreeding thing. Um, I think they, they, you know, I don't think there's a lot of them. I think there's probably, I don't know, 10, eight of them or 10 of them in the state. So what do you, what is, what's your estimate as far as the, uh, the individual groups, how many in a group? Well, <laughs> that's kind of cool too, because not only can you see, um, hair differences, uh, I observed this myself in the pine barrens. I went down there every year and it was super cool because every year in the same area, we found these footprints and they were not human footprints. Okay. Like they were small kid sized, right? Mm-hmm. But we were in the middle of like, it was Nobody, nobody's back there. No canoes, no nothing, no nothing. And uh, we watched these uh, foot sizes grow each year. They grew like two, three, and four inches each year. So that was kind of cool too. So you actually could see like not only uh, you actually have like characteristic individual footprints growing every third year that they're down there. (laughs) How cool is Uh, that? That's very interesting. You know, and, and that any of the trackways that you found, any of the, the tracks that you're, you're specifically talking about, um, show any kind of, uh, uh, individuality, you know, any, you know, like a scar or, uh, you know, maybe a malformation of a toe or something. Unfortunately, no, these were found in very deep mud. So it wasn't, um, the casting was very hard to get any of the details out of, um, what's cool about all the tracks were, um, and there were different sizes too. So they were like, you know, we went back every third year and found these footprints growing, but we also saw different size footprints growing. So we had baby baby who had like four inch footprints. And then we had, you know, brother that had like eight inch footprints. So that was kind of cool. You could see the different individuals, which, um, you know, the one group had, uh, had like three individuals or four individuals and the other group had like five individuals. That's why I say there's like eight or nine yeah. in New Jersey. Interesting. And it's all, and I came up with all this. I'm not an expert. Nobody's an expert. I came up with all of this information simply by taking in reports, listening to what people had to say and marking it on a piece of paper. And a, I strive, I, 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 everybody, I would love for everybody to put this kind of research to work in their area and see what we can come up with. And let's all, like I said, kind of before, instead of working on different books, let's work on the same chapter and try to figure things out. Exactly. That would, that would be huge. All right. So 
are you you're convinced that there's two groups in your state that's strongly what my research leads would lead me to believe yes how how often are reports uh, I have 89 reports from Sussex County in New Jersey going back to oh, from from uh, I think the earliest one I have is in the 18 late 1800s okay so a fairly decent amount of reports yeah it's not I mean it's not if you if you look at the and and there are even hearsay reports too where people just said hey I don't want my name taken down, but I saw one right here, put it mm-hmm. pointed on a map, and I, I'm going to accept that as evidence, as, as a sighting, because I have no reason to disbelieve them. Um, but, yeah, and, and, and that's, you know, just for Sussex County, I'm, I'm sure, you know, there's uh, New Jersey is a great state for Bigfoot, so every state, every county in the state has a sighting, which is pretty neat. That is cool. It's just not something that you, when you say New Jersey, obviously going back to the, you know, my, my mind is, you know, buildings and, you know, busy streets and, and all that. Um, yeah. I mean, you, you have, uh, just like we were talking about before the Pine Barrens is uh, 1.3 million acres. It's the largest tract of undivided land between Florida and Maine along the U S seaboard, Eastern seaboard. So if you want to like, just kind of put it into perspective, that's, that's, I mean, that's you're talking huge. some land there. <laughs> yeah. So any so, any big expeditions coming up here in the near future? Ah, jeez, yeah. Um, we're going this summer. You know, last 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 year was hard because of COVID and everything, and um, still this year, still getting back on track. It's it's almost impossible to find a campsite now, which has uh, kind of been hard for us out in the field trying to film our episodes because um, it presents a, us with a unusual challenge that we don't normally have. Um, but uh, yeah, we're we're planning uh, to go out to Kentucky coming up the end of uh, this month. Um, we're going to go to Mammoth Cave, Red River Gorge because it's two of the things on my bucket list that I want to do. Um, we're going to go uh, film an episode in Land Between the Lakes, uh, which is supposedly amazing hotspot when it comes to Bigfoot and Dogman and everything creepy. Why do I know so, that name, Land Between the Lakes? Where's that? Oh, it's it's. Uh, uh, Tennessee, Kentucky, Indiana, maybe. Tennessee and uh, Tennessee and Kentucky. I know that those two, but um, it's a Kentucky Lake, Kentucky River, I think it is. Uh, anyways, but that area has been known for a long time. So uh, going to hang out there for a couple of days, and then um, I'm just going to go because I want to go and hang out in Nashville for a couple nights. Can't, can't blame um, so you that, there. That's, what's that? Can't blame you there. Yeah, no, no, I want to, uh, you know, I've been to Nashville once, but I want to experience it, actually, like, hang out. So that that's a big one coming up, and then we got Maine and Massachusetts coming up later this year. Um, let's see, where else are we going? Uh, hopefully down to Florida. We got the Pine Barrens we're going to in South Jersey. That's going to be uh, it's going to be a nice one. And then another big one we have coming up, too, is um, up into the Adirondacks. We're going to the West Canadia Wilderness. <laughs> Canadia. West Canadian wilderness, um, <laughs> which is, uh, one of the most remote spots, uh, east of the Mississippi. Uh, it's literally in the middle of God forsaken nowhere. We're talking about Michigan middle of nowhere type thing. So we got a, a spot up there that's been super hot with activity that, uh, we're going to be on, uh, an area that this guy has, uh, I'm so excited to get up there. He's such a great witness. So. Yeah, man, we're we're gonna be uh, we're out and about this year. So uh, season five, uh, we're filming it now. Should uh, should start to air. Um, I'm hoping uh, end of October. And those are all on YouTube, correct? 
all on YouTube right now. Yep. Uh, Sussex County Bigfoot is our YouTube uh, page, our YouTube channel, and the show's name is In the Shadow of Big Red Eye. Love that Facebook. name. Yeah, it's kind of it, it's a little long. I was I was I was I was worried about it at first, but I think it kind of flows nice. Because yeah, it does really. I mean, you're you're right. It is a little long, but um, I mean, the graphics you have for it as well uh, work very well with it, and uh, it, it almost looks like a. Um, a theater poster for a, for an upcoming yeah, movie. I, I, you know? I've, I've done a, I've done a few of them for, for the, yeah, I'm actually working on one for season five now, which is cool. But, um, you know, the, the reason why I chose in the shadow of is because of kind of like what we were talking about before is the fact that, you know, 70%, I think that, I think that he's out there and every little bit, every time we're always we're always just in the shadow of that Bigfoot, just mm-hmm. in the shadow, getting that little teeny bits of evidence that he wants us to give. We're always so close, but we're right there. So you couldn't pick a better name for, for such an amazing search for an amazing creature. What was the most, uh, you know, I, I got to suppose the, uh, your first experience with the rocks being hurled. Uh, yeah, that, uh, that was terrific. Yeah. Um, yeah. But what, what is, uh, what's one of the pieces of evidence that you, you are most that really, really drives home for you that there's something extremely unusual going on out there that you've caught. You know, um, I don't want to get into it too much, uh, because it is going to be in season five. We actually, I was just working on the episode, um, today. Um, and I'm not trying to like, I'm not trying to like, you know, no, don't give away any spoilers. You don't want to like spoilers. I'm not trying to do that, but you know, I think it comes down to, you know, I've, I've gotten vocalizations, I've recorded vocalizations. I've, I've collected possible hair. I can't tell you how many bags of poop I've brought home. Um, you know, and everything it seems lately for me is more of a kind of like a spiritual thing. And I'm not getting into the spiritual side of Bigfoot or anything like that. But for me, something that happened recently was, um, I was really uh, intensely uh, researching this one area because um, uh, due to the, the time of year and all that, you know, what I, what I described earlier, um, I had really pretty much gotten it down to the, 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 the time of day almost. I, I had it to the, the, the gas corridor that they were walking along and what week they were supposed to be there. Um, which is really super interesting because I went up there and I put some, some trail cameras out and nothing, nothing too quite happened. I checked out the area. It was really cool. Uh, and then, uh, right after I got back from checking that area out, a witness, um, uh, contacted me and he's like, Hey, I want to take you up to this area, um, and show you this area. I, I was like, okay, you know, I had not explained where I was. He had no idea. And he brought me to the exact same area. And he had his encounter there in 1972, I think it was, or 1970, and he's never been to that that sighting area since. And he had a very intriguing um, and and really life altering sighting there, which is going to be. I'm so excited to bring that in season five. Um, but what really kind of hits the nail home is about two weeks after we had filmed that. Uh, I went back up there to retrieve my trail cameras, and when I said things before about the spiritual thing, it it it's it's 
I had just sat down to get my trail camera. I put my backpack down. It was a little bit of a hike, so I sat down to get some water. And as soon as I sat down, a tree maybe 20 yards from the other side of this gas line was pushed over. And it was clear as day. Got it on audio. I had just stopped recording on my phone literally a second beforehand. I, I started recording a second after it happened. All, you know, video, audio recorded and everything. And, you know, that's the kind of thing that's like, man, you know what? That's cool. Yeah. You know, it's not about, you know, no, I didn't find a 20 inch footprint or get, you know, uh, you know, the best hair sample or vocalization I've ever heard, but you know what? I, I know something's out there and, man, you know, I was, I was yelling at him, like, will you just show yourself already? Like, come <laughs> on. Like this, this is getting, it's been 10 years, dude. Like, come on. <laughs> Wow, but it's so, it's not a, it's not about the it's not about the the finding aspect of of looking for Bigfoot for me and researching Bigfoot. It's it's about the exploration part about it. It's exploring. It's about getting outside and into nature. Like you you hit the nail on the head before when you said you know seeing some of these places and these beautiful scenes. I if it wasn't for my show, I couldn't tell you how many places that I would have never seen. Just like we were mm-hmm. talking about Michigan before. Yeah. I mean, you go up to, you know, Maine is so beautiful. Mount Washington down to Florida. I'd be mean, everywhere you can imagine. It's just so it's given me a, a truly unique and wonderful experience that I have the pleasure of getting to share with everybody else. And I think that's, you know, that's really, really cool. And I, I hope that um, you know uh, by listening to this, some some viewers can can join in and see what I've been up to. Well, I, I certainly hope that they do. Come for come for the ride with me, right? Yeah, no kidding. I gotta I gotta ask you. Sure. You know, like so, you get rocks thrown at you. You know, some people's reaction to this uh, type of event would be utter horror. You know, other people they go out looking for it, craving it. What, what do you think the difference is? Why, why are, you know, cause if the descriptions are accurate and this thing is out there, cause mm-hmm. I just don't think there could be that many uh, misidentifications or that many people who are just trying, crazy. Yeah. <laughs> Agreed. You know, <clears throat> so I guess what do you have to pack away in your head in order to go spend a night out in the woods with something that could potentially, by all all the descriptions, if it wanted to, it could end you in a in a heartbeat. But yet, when you talk about it, there is no real trepidation to it. It doesn't sounds like it doesn't sound like you know you just rattled off you know how many different places you have uh, coming up that you're going to be going to. What makes it what makes it a comfortable thing for you to do? The best way that I would be able to sum that up is. Uh, and it's a quote, and I'm not sure who said it, but a world with the possibility of Bigfoot and the Loch Ness Monster is far much more fascinating than one without. And I think that that's what keeps me going and why I don't mind camping with the with the, the bears and the, the ticks and the spiders and all the stuff I don't necessarily, I don't necessarily like getting extremely dirty, but I do it because it's the experience of doing something that isn't normal for somebody. It's doing something that people don't normally do. And I think that is one of the most 
one of the greatest things and aspects that anybody can like grab onto is something unique of their own and then just roll with it. And I challenge anybody that has that thought in the back of their mind, just do it. It gives you a completely, it gives you a completely different perspective on the world, doesn't it? hundred percent, hundred percent. And it's interesting that you said, uh, back in that last story you were relaying about the gas line, I assume you mean like a, a clear cut where a, a pipeline had gone through. Yes, sir. Yeah. Yes, sir. So um, my, my first experience, which I did not see, but I was most definitely followed by footsteps out of a hunting area. And there was a gas pipeline that had been put in probably seven or eight years before. And I was less than a hundred yards away from that pipeline that clear cut was still, it was still open. It was starting to overgrow, you know what I mean? But my experience was less than a hundred yards away from that pipeline. People, people always ask me when, when I go looking, uh, you know, what, what do you, what do you look for when you, uh, look for a campsite or when you look, you know, for a place to research these things. And, you know, I, I, I always, uh, people are always taking back when I say it's, you know, I, I don't tell them, it's because this is where the most recent Bigfoot sighting was, or because this is where the most sightings ever in history were. Uh, it's because of a couple different things. The one thing I do is I look to an area that I want to go, for example, um, I want to go to the mammoth cave system in Kentucky. So what I do pulled up a map of my Verizon for my cell phone thing. Where is Verizon not in Kentucky? Boom. Let's go there. That's our starting point because I don't want to go these, these, when I film and go away, these, these are vacations for me, even though I work, you know, eight mm-hmm. times harder, uh, during, you know, during one, but, um, I don't want to be distracted and, and have the environment and the headspace that I would having to deal with people constantly. You know, when I, when I do these expeditions, of course, they're to get away and you can't find Bigfoot, you know, going door to door. Right. But, um, yeah, that and, and, you know, just, just where, um, where could, where could they be? Where, where's no, you know, shelter, food, water, that's all you need. And that's why, that's why, you know, I, I'm sure like you were describing your, your head was kind of confused when, when I said New Jersey, <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. but, but I mean, you know, you take a look at the state and it's, uh, you were, you were rattling off some numbers, um, and some percentages and stuff uh, about Michigan, I believe it was, and mm-hmm. uh, it's 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 very fascinating because New Jersey percentage-wise has almost the same as Michigan has uh, forest percentage-wise, fifty-something percent, sixty percent, wow. or something like that. So if you if you think about it, it's you know uh, obviously not not uh, you know acreage-wise or square mileage-wise is big, but it's um, in relation to, which is cool. Sure, yeah, makes you think. That's awesome. What's your style of of investigating? <laughs> what do you What are you doing when you uh, when you go out there? Are you whooping and tree knocks and yeah. call blasting and stuff like that, or are you a little more reserved? Do you you know go out there and just kind of be quiet and hang out and hope that they come to you? What's your uh, What's your What's your style of investigation? I, I I take each expedition and I look at it individually um, and I make up. Um, a a tactic list or a tactic uh, kind of um, game plan for each location that we go to. 
these game plans can change based on um, if it's like a hot spot of Bigfoot activity, um, if it's near like a residential area, if, um, you know, a, a whole bunch of different things, state laws, if you can have fireworks, I've used fireworks before. But generally speaking, what I'll do is we kind of start off slow, depending on how many nights, again, I'm in the area. If I'm there, I usually like to go to an area three to four nights. So uh, we'll start off slow, kind of do like a uh, um, camping by the fire type thing to see if anything comes in. The second night, we'll kind of do like a little lost hiker scenario, go out for a night hike. Third night, then we'll start doing some knocks and whoops. And then the fourth night, if we don't have anything or haven't gotten anything, it's kind of no holds barred type of thing. Generally speaking, that's how we do things. Anyone ever prove out to be more... uh more sure. productive no, no well no i mean i've had i've had success with all of them um in florida i've noticed well and and this is just i i don't think it has anything to do with the geography i just think it has 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 more to do with the mood that the bigfoot's in or, or something i don't know mm-hmm. um but in florida like we were doing calls every five minutes we got uh, some of the uh, you know I, we've got eye shine that was uh, ridiculously crazy blue and red eye shine looking back at you. Um, that was insane. That was down in Florida, but then up in, you know, um, up in salt fork in Ohio, we sat there silent, nothing. And we had some very, very good activity. So, so it really all depends on, you know, what you're feeling and, and, you know, sometimes you just, you're tired and you don't want to do too much. Other times, <laughs> other times you really want to, you know, hit it hard at, it, it, it you know, it's, it's, um, there's times where I've been out on what we'll call an expedition and I've sat by the campfire and I haven't left. And there's been other times where I've literally been up for, you know, 72 hours hiking, looking for Bigfoot, not sleeping, trying to, you know, coming back to camp at six in the morning after a night hike. Cause you're listening to Bigfoot all night type of thing. So just yeah. to, just to get home and shower and do it all again, <laughs> you know, it's, it's all, it's all relative, but it's, um, uh, it, it is that little bit of something that when you get that, it's like, ah, it's so cool. <laughs> <laughs> my, uh, my, my son, the poor bastard, he, uh, he's had to grow up with me and, and these fascinations with these, these weird topics and stuff his whole life. And, and now that he's, a an adult and living up in, in the middle of Michigan, he, uh, he's a geologist and, uh, last summer early summer he had to go up north in michigan up into the uh, petoskey area that's maybe a half hour 40 minutes just shy of getting to the bridge to going over to the upper peninsula and uh, <clears throat> he was doing some some ground testing for a uh, a very large well-known campground uh, three-letter campground <laughs> who was uh getting ready to expand their campground. And uh, he and two drillers had to uh, had to go up there for a couple of days. And he's a no-bullshit kind of kid. He's 24 now. He's got a great sense of humor. But, you know, when, when he says something in a serious tone, it's, it's serious. You know, he does, he's not one for pulling pranks or anything like that. And uh, last year he sent me a text and it was a picture of a tree that was laying down across the path in these woods. And the root ball and everything was 
still attached. It was just complete lane. And he says, this tree just got pushed down beside me, like <laughs> not even five feet away from me. And I was like, what? So I'm texting back and forth with him about it. And he sends me a picture of this tree and he says, dad, uh, literally this tree was fell over right while I was standing there. I'm less than five feet away from this tree. And I said, wow, everybody okay? You know, nobody got hit or anything. Yeah, no, said, no, right? no, it just, it fell. And, you know, from the, from the picture and then after obviously talking to him in person, it was about a eight inch diameter tree. Hmm. Looked like it was probably in the neighborhood of 25 foot. Hmm. Um, it's interesting. He says, you know, the ground's kind of wet. He says it's not soaked, but he says it's it's kind of wet up here. So, you know, it's weird, right? So he yeah, uh, cool. <laughs> he goes on he goes on about his uh, his their job there, and their job was basically to take a hundred yard uh, stretch and to perform a drill at the uh, at zero yards, perform a drill at fifty yards, and perform a drill at a hundred yards in this in this one specific area. I don't hear from him for quite a while. A little while later, he uh, he texts me back with a uh, Google Earth picture of the area that he's at. He's got a line drawn where where they're at, mm-hmm. and then he's got a blue, a yellow, and a red dot on there. And I, I think he said more info will follow. And I was like, okay. So at the zero mark is where the tree gets pushed over. Let me rephrase it. The tree falls over. Mm-hmm. At the 50-yard mark, one of the drillers who is walking ahead of the other driller and my son says, did you hear that? Was that your phone? And he looks back, and he's like, it wasn't my phone. And he's like, did you hear that? It sounded like a woman's voice. My son, like I said, he grew up with me, so he has been as much into this stuff as, as I have been for for a long time and he's like yeah i heard it it sounded like it was either a, a muffled woman's voice or muffled kids higher pitched voice and i'm like Are you sure that wasn't like siri on your phone or on your watch or something and right my son's like no it wasn't wasn't mine and the other driller says no it wasn't mine so they they do their drill there and then they move on to the next 50 yards and when they get to the next 50 yards, just as they stop, they hear this shaking of brush. And they turn back down to look down the pathway that they just came back, came through. And back at the point where the tree fell over, the large scrub brush that was beside it was shaking, like violently shaking. Hmm. And he said, I saw it for like a just a split second and he said and then all of a sudden it was just like I saw everything just kind of going back into place like it got shook really hard and then let go and then you saw the residual movement and then it just stopped (laughs) I was like "All right, dude listen if I know you wouldn't do this but you just like you just put three things that are, are so common in reports of people <laughs> with these things. Yeah. yeah, no kidding. That if I didn't know better, I would say you were screwing with me. And he's like, I'm not, Dad. I'm flat out 100% serious. I, I don't know what it was. All I know is that 
this tree got freaking pushed down beside me. 50 yeah. yards later, I'm hearing high-pitched woman or child like mumbling in the, in the wooded area. And then we hear this massive amount of brush being shook back and forth yeah. and turn around just in time to see it. Like as it's settling back into. It's just so interesting because that, that, that shares so many similarities besides, besides the, the, the vocalization aspect. It, it's so much compared to what just happened to me when the, when, when the tree got pushed over by me. So it was yeah. a little closer, but it's just, it's remarkably similar. And that, again talk about like things that 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 make you go hmm about bigfoot it's like these sightings are reported across the country and the same exact thing like like you we are we never shared stories of that before i never told you what happened with with my thing no and, you didn't. and boom you're saying the exact same thing i'm sitting here thinking i'm i'm going through my head as i'm listening to your story recreate like looking at through it my, through my point of view like it's, yeah um and that, that to me is fascinating. It's, it's, it, it really, I mean, it's, it's too much of a coincidence. It is too much of a coincidence. And, and, and I think it also begs to uh, make you take into consideration that there's probably, I, I don't see things like that becoming something that they just learn how to, they just, no. they just do it. It's almost like a learned behavior. And I don't understand how that would happen because if, if these things are in, in groups of four to six to maybe eight, you know, in, in a, in a pod and they're, you know, dispersed throughout the country, how are those accounts so similar? You know, is that, is that something that, you know, a, a parental unit is teaching a, a young, a young child? I know this sounds ridiculous, but. Yeah, I don't think it's a, I, th I think I, I, I'm sure those are instinctual behaviors just like, um, I don't know, a deer freezing every time it gets scared. I think it would be the same thing as um, uh, a bear's like, or a Bigfoot's going to say like, listen, you're getting too close to this area. Uh, I'm going to, I'm going to intimidate you. I'm going to throw some rocks at you and mm -hmm. I'm going to push this tree over because listen, you're not supposed to be here. And I probably got babies right around here too. So you guys got to get, get. Yeah. And that's, that's why when, when people have aggressive encounters, people say that like Ohio grassmen are very more aggressive than other places in the country. I don't think aggressiveness necessarily has to do with location. I think it has to do more so with how close you are to the family members uh, or the young ones. So you don't think it has anything to do with the, the geographic location of them? I mean... Because, it, I mean, you know, when you talk about Florida... And I, I guess this is this is a good way to segue into what I was going to ask you before we finish this up. As far as reports go, are there are there any discernible differences between the ones that are seen out there and say the ones that are out in the Pacific Northwest? Because you know the ones out out west typically sound like they are are much uh, much beefier and uh, more um, barrel chested and just this massive mound of you know tree hugging forest protecting and but yet then when you get to like Ohio they seem to be more aggressive and Florida you know they seem to be a bit smaller and but aggressive and it's like well if I was living in that sweltering heat and I was covered in hair I'd probably be pissed off too you no. know is are there any differences that you're noticing and in, uh, in the ones that are in your area so so I think 
uh, I'm I'm familiar with what you're getting at um, and the location differences. However, uh, you have to separate the two traits that you're attributing to different locations and groups of Bigfoot. Uh, you're you're adding uh, physical traits uh, with personality traits, aka aggressiveness or mm-hmm. some sort of personality thing. I don't think the two can be attributed together. Just like I believe that Bigfoot is sort of like another animal. I don't think that like the bear are so much more scarier in Arizona than they are up here. It's just like maybe there there's more of them or maybe that there's just like a different type or something like that. Um, but I just use Arizona for example, cause I want to go there. Um, but it, your, your physical traits can easily be explained and it's called Bergman's theory or Bergman's rule. And it's a principle of biology that says that animals that live in colder climates have to, are larger than animals that live in warmer climates. And they have to be because they need to bulk up for winter. Mm-hmm. Um, whereas in animals in Southern climates, they don't need to bulk up for winter. So for example, you have uh, deer in Florida are super duper small where deer up in New Jersey and up North in Canada are huge because they have to eat constantly. The deer in Florida don't have to eat constantly. I think a large black bear in Florida is like 250 pounds where up here, that's like a cub. Yeah. Um, and, and Bigfoot can be attributed the same exact way. I think that Bigfoot are smaller in Florida because they don't need to be bigger it wouldn't make sense for them to be bigger because they would use more energy and more body heat. It just, it, it, it just wouldn't make sense, but you couldn't have an animal like that survive a winter in Northern Canada. Yeah, definitely not. No, not in those kind of conditions. And vice versa. You put that, you put that Northern Canada, Bigfoot down in, in Florida, you're going to, that's he's going to be a burnt Bigfoot. Yeah. Interesting. That's a, that makes a lot of sense. It's all and and you know from from talking. I hope I I hope I can kind of convey the theory that w- I'm not kind of sounding crazy when it comes when when my theories are kind of put together and that I'm not too off the wall when it's like oh okay, you know I, I'm hoping that your listeners are be will be able to kind of put oh well okay that makes sense you know and not that holy crap this kid is from outer space. No, I think I think your theories are very solid. I think you've got uh, there's a there's yeah. a very good uh, thought process behind it, and you know, like like we said and at the beginning, none of us are experts. We're all trying just just like the next guy to to get that next piece of puzzle, make it a little bit bigger, and and give us a better better idea of what we're dealing with. Yeah, yeah. No, that's what it comes. That's what it comes down to. I'm thinking um, might be doing a book thing when I settle down. I don't know when that's going to be, but, uh, about New Jersey and Bigfoots and stuff like that, or I don't know. We'll see. It's just kind of people are saying I should do that. So it's kind of been in the background brainstorming process, but, uh, you know, we'll see what comes, what's to come quickly. What's your theory on, uh, on, on dog man. I don't know if there's a connection between dog man and Bigfoot. I don't know. Do you think it dog man's a legitimate thing? I don't know. See, and that's the thing that, that, um, I don't, I don't know if I believe in ghosts. I think I might've seen a ghost a couple times, but I don't, I haven't done enough research into them to firmly make a statement that I believe that they exist or don't exist. And I feel the same way about dogmen. I think the accounts are very interesting, interesting. And, and just like Bigfoot, it's hard to make up some of these encounters. Um, 
However, have I seen one? No. I mean, I, I, I don't know. I, I Again, my focus is on Bigfoot, and people ask me the same thing about, like, Mothman, and I think it's, like, the coolest thing to think about it, and I would love to go visit and, and you know, um, research it and everything like that. I just like Bigfoot too much, and I think that's that's kind of, like, where my heart is. So that's that's where I stick. It's funny that you uh, you jumped right to ghosts. Well, yeah, yeah. And when I brought up Dogman, because to me, where I feel Bigfoot is a a physical creature, normal physical creature. I I Dogman to me exudes something that's uh, more on a spiritual plane. And I've had I've had experiences when my dad passed that led me to believe that ghosts or or spirits at least for some amount of time after their passing are capable of interacting in in some way with us so as far as my belief in ghosts i i, I truly yeah i don't that. know why i jumped to that as soon as uh, as soon as we said dog man and i and I, I think it was because like i was remembering back to like what kind of other things that i have i investigated that aren't Bigfoot. And the first thing that popped in my head was, Oh yeah, I went out with these crazy ladies one time doing a paranormal investigation. That was off the wall. Crazy. So like that, that's <laughs> crazy because they were nuts or crazy. Because the whole of thing, stuff you, the whole, the whole thing was just nuts. I mean, we, yeah, we got some cool stuff on the, the, um, the thing you could tell how into, in, into paranormal I am the thing that makes the, the mapping thing. SLS. SLS, yes. I think it is. We we got we got something yes. on that thing, which is cool. But then we were in some abandoned house, and I don't, I don't. It was um, it was just very interesting, different. It's on my YouTube, but um, uh, yeah, I just don't. I I I wish I could really deep and in dive into investigating each of these kind of local mysteries and folklores more. Um. But unfortunately, just, you know, I, I, I like to go too many places and see too many different things to be in one area too long. <laughs> so. It's funny you brought up the SLS camera because uh, years ago, I don't know how old my son was, maybe 10, 12 years old, maybe a little bit older. He uh, he got the Connect for uh, mm. his Xbox. The Connect camera system is what the SLS Correct. is based yep. off of. It's the same mapping. And... Uh, I always tried to stay involved with my kids no matter what they were doing, even if, even if it was stuff that I had no interest in. And my, my son loved video games. So I'd go down in the basement with him and I'd sit and I'd watch him while he was playing Halo or whatever the game was. And, you know, just to show interest and, and be a part of what's going on. And he had just got that camera. I don't know, maybe, maybe had it for a month. He had some kind of a Cabela's game where, um, there was a there was a rifle and you could shoot it and you know this camera was picking you up as you were moving and stuff so I played that a little bit and then there was one point I don't know if he was changing games and the the loading screen was going but the the little uh, inset picture in picture that that camera provided on the on a 57 inch TV we had down there it was mapping him it was mapping me but in the corner of our basement off over my right hand shoulder behind me. It mapped a third, hmm. and I was sitting down. He was sitting down. This was standing up, That's... and he looked at me, 
<laughs> and he's like, do you see that? And I said, I do. And I turned around and, you know, I'm looking back at the corner, obviously mm. nothing there. Um, but it was on the screen for a good 35, 45 seconds, maybe a minute. And, uh, he, he, he shut off his controller and grabbed the remote and shut the TV <laughs> off. And he's like, I'm ready to go to bed. That's wild. That's cool. <laughs> so we, we exited the basement and I was like, that was freaking <laughs> weird. There was there was nothing in the corner of that room other than a weight bench. Yeah, well, hey. So there was nothing nothing that you would have even been remotely close to, you know, mapping out the the figure of a, right, a standing right. person. That's wild. That's neat. Yeah, uh, yeah. That was that was bizarre. Mike, this has been a a great conversation. I really enjoyed having you on here. I'm so glad we were. Yeah, able let's to get do it this again together. sometime. Yeah, for sure. Um, and if you ever get into uh, a little bit closer area to me, let me know. I'd love yeah, to go out uh, with you. Yeah, let's chat sometime. when we get done here because uh, I think I mentioned Kentucky-ish. So let's see if uh, let's see if that's um, yeah. doable. Yeah, yeah. Okay. One more time for the listeners: tell them uh, who you are, where you can be found, and uh, where your your videos and stuff are like. Yeah, awesome. Uh, again. Uh, Thanks for having me so much, Eric. Seriously. Uh, the, uh, my name is Mike Famalant. Uh, I produce uh, the show In the Shadow of Big Red Eye. Uh, Facebook, uh, In the Shadow of Big Red Eye. Our YouTube channel, please subscribe to it, is uh, Sussex County Bigfoot, or you can just search In the Shadow of Big Red Eye uh, on YouTube there. Uh, we have all of our episodes. We're in the process of filming season five. We're on all the social media, so keep uh, us active and added and uh uh i hope i hope um you know everybody we can stay connected now definitely i think my uh, i think my listeners are going to love this it seems to be uh the predominant topic that gets a lot of listeners good it's not so much about uh finding this elusive yeah. being as, as much as getting off the couch and seeing things that you wouldn't normally have seen if you stayed in front Absolutely. of the boob tube and, I, I, and, and just wasted your life away. I think that's uh, something that I hope, hope everybody can at least get a little bit of inspiration from. Um, just, you know, get outside, even if it's, you know, something, some garbage up or something. <laughs> I don't know, just anything, anything to help the environment. and Take, take your dog yeah, to the park. Know, something out, some, something Do something, outside. just it's get too out. nice outside. It's, it's, uh, you have to opt outside anytime you can. That's, that's important in life. All right, Mike. Thank you so much for being with us tonight. It's been a pleasure. Thank you, Eric. Take care, man. We'll see you. Thank you for joining me this evening. If you have an experience or there's a topic that you'd like to have covered on an upcoming episode, please contact me at contact.uncomfortable at gmail.com. You can like us on Facebook and follow us on Instagram and Twitter, all at Uncomfortable Podcast. If you haven't yet, please go to iTunes and give us a five-star rating and leave a review. T-shirts are still available in sizes medium through 2XL. The cost is $25. And that covers the shipping to anywhere in the continental U.S. The show is growing by leaps and bounds, thanks to you, the listener. 
We've got some great content coming up. So stick around.